You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, Alex. Hi, Nick. Hey, man. So, um, do you want to talk about anything? Like? It just seems like there might be something you'd, you'd want to talk about. I've got nothing. You've got uh, nothing? My, no, but I mean, the last few weeks have been pretty good for me. You know, I've done, yeah, a, lot yeah, of, yeah, I've, yeah. I've done a lot of things with my time. Yeah. Yeah. I've done a yeah, lot yeah. of positive things with my time. I, positive I, things with my time and positive things with my wife's time. You don't have anything to say about that, about the fact that you recorded a cold open with my wife in California. And took her out to dinner. You weren't supposed to find out about that. How was I not supposed <laughs> to find out about that when this is a podcast that we share? And I didn't I, know you actually listened to the podcast. I thought we just like we'd record it. And you I'd think send that you I don't you listen? Just, to you just these turn things? it in, and you'd be you know you're so busy these days that you just kind of that I'm you wouldn't not that even sneak one sneak one through on you. But um, why would you sneak one through? Why would you want to get caught? I am a big fan of your wife. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I I like I like uh, what she does. Mm-hmm. I like choose these she, words I, so carefully. I like who she is. Yep. Um, and and you are so far away from us. I'm gonna fucking kill you, little Justice. Little Justice. Little justice. Fuck yeah. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome, welcome, welcome back to Little Justice, the Alex Mallow death knell. Nope. Don't hum. Don't hum, you son of a don't hum. Okay. You just you just sit there and think about what you did. It's been a crazy, crazy couple of weeks. We've had some had some fun, had some good town halls, had some good stuff, you know, happening. Uh, but now we're back to, uh, t- it has t- been crazy. So you, you approached me with this theme and I had no idea what it means. And if, if the word is in the title of the, of the episode, which I assume it will be, people will be coming here saying, what is this that you're talking about? Yeah. I almost want to, I almost want to elongate it to like the intertextuality, allidocious, like whatever movie Do you mean like something crazy, something real crazy. And you, long. you could do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alienate our entire listenership. Listen, dude. <laughs> if, if they don't feel alienated already, do you remember when our cold opens used to land on like lynching jokes? Like it's terrible. This is all bad. 
the theme of today is intertextuality. That's what we want to talk about, intertextuality. And it's and I, I will say, I think that uh, it's a theme that I would suggest exploring more than once down the line. Because I, th- I feel, as I, as I researched this, I realized that so many movies have examples of this. It seems so specific because the lang- it, it's like almost a scientific term. Uh, but the it's so broad what it could apply to. Very broad. Very broad. Intertextual... It, you know, it's literature, right? Like that's words, that's text. So when you apply the the concept to movies, it's interesting because then you're dealing with with uh, it's more concept than anything, right? The translation of concept from one thing to another. Well, and it's so so. Let's let's break it down. What is intertext intertextuality? Uh, by by, uh, I wrote this down. By definition, is the overlapping of various art forms. Really, it's 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 that point where two works of art overlap. In terms of film, it can be where a movie overlaps with another work of art, and that could be a film, that could be a work of literature, that could be a piece of art, any part of pop culture. It's the intersection of these things, and um, I think it's actually most easily recognizable in film. I think that we live in an age of references um, and and quips and like little things that are like, ooh, it's, you know, it's funny because it, that person's referencing something else. I mean, I think the entire Marvel catalog is built off of intertextuality. And what... I mean, it kind of has to be. It does have to be. And it, I mean, and it, the film itself is intertextuality because it's, you know, all, all of them are referencing comic books, right? So So already there's a layer of these works are based upon and you know bringing the film medium and the comic book medium together but then within that like they're poking fun at the fact that they're owned by disney and they're poking fact fun at the fact of you know of or of previous movies so there's like a bunch of like really cool references that right. I, I well so I so this is this is where i had a little trouble uh coming up with my selection because it intertextuality can exist um, just by nature in a sequel, uh, in an adaptation, uh, but it can also exist in, you know, in parody, in reference, in allusion, in quotation, you know, there, there's like, like literally because of what film is, there's no, I, I think every single movie probably has some element of intertextuality, right? I do. I think, I think so too. I really, I think, and I think the best way to look at it is what are our favorite examples of, right. what are the times when it's been used super, super well? So let me to- ask you, cause I'm not, I'm not super confident in my choice as, as the best intertextuality, but I also, I also kind of am, um, how do you separate this term from like adaptation or sequel. So I think an adaptation is exactly like you said, like it's, it's an adaptation. I think that the first thing that comes to my mind is Jurassic Park, right? Which we, I haven't brought up as an example, but will bring up as an example at some point because it is truly my favorite movie of all time. I don't um, know that. Yeah. Jurassic, it's, it's, it's a, it's a cl- close tie between Jurassic Park and oh, Hook, wow. but Jurassic, Jurassic Park takes the cake every time. Learn something new every day. Look at that. Look at that. But um, when you have Jurassic Park, which is a an adaptation, right? There is there is intertextuality at play, the novel and the movie. But I wouldn't I wouldn't say that it's a my favorite example of intertextuality right. because it, it is just taking a yes. story and adapting it to a different medium. Gotcha. However, in Endgame, right, uh, Avengers <laughs> Endgame which literally goes back and references all the movies that it has made that have been made before previous to getting here. Um, 
you know, I think that it's, it's, it, it was, it, it was kind of this amazing thing because it's, it was a celebration at that point. It was like, it was a victory lap. And it was also what I think was brilliant about the whole time travel storyline was that it allowed for, you know, fan service intertextuality, but within a, a smart story context, there was a reason why they need to go back in time. There was a reason why they need to visit those moments, specifically those moments and you bought it and it didn't, to me, watching it, I was never distracted from the story mm-hmm. with the intertextuality. I think that's what that's what I look for is like, are there ways, whether you're referencing yourself or referencing other things, what are the ways in which movies do this that that further the movie? So the, it's it's expansive. It's expansive. Because one of my Huge. former one of my previous selections for for a film, uh, Walk Hard, which exists as a parody, like that entire thing is every single scene because it's based on a it's it's referencing something else that exists every element of it the cinematography the plot the script the music the everything like that's an example too i mean it's it it there's so many options there are you know you know what i you know what i push when i thought because i I was thinking about the two because parody is all intertextuality parody is in yeah it literally is but I was thinking about this. I think that what I what when I think about parody, the the reason that my mind and not the parody couldn't be an example. You know, if you bring a, a parody today, I think it would be fine. But I think that why my mind didn't go there was because to me, parody is something where that inter, the intertextuality is the point. So you are actually stopping the movie, stopping the story for intertextuality. You are literally saying, "Please look at this because this is referencing something else." Right. Do you know what I mean? As opposed to something that that uses it. Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man, his whole performance is based off what pop culture references can I pull in that further plot, but also are perfect for my character. Yeah. And and I think there is a strong difference in that. Not that one is better than the other, but I think that's why one is parody and one is your favorite example of intertextuality. And, I, and and there's bad examples, not bad examples, but there's people who have used it that talking about fan service, because you really can't talk, uh, m- you know, intertextuality in movies without talking about fan service. One of the things that I always think of is the Star Wars movies, the most recent Star Wars movies from uh, Force Awakens on. And that's including Rogue One and that's including uh, Solo. I think that one thing that they had working against them is that, Right now, Disney has cornered the market on nostalgia. And we go to these movies. Like I, I was I was breaking down like one of the most fascinating things you should ever do. Watch a video that breaks down the Force Awakens trailer. It is built to ramp up your nostalgia. And I mean the 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 films are are built to do yes. that yes. in their entirety. I mean, Force Awakens is basically just a new hope. <laughs> just bigger and louder. But what's crazy is that's that's the thing. A new hope though, a new hope is plot driven. Force Awakens is is intertextuality driven. Force it really, Awakens it really is, like, is. Yeah. Well, we and that, ha- and that's what it feels like. I wouldn't I wouldn't say that I agree that Disney has cornered the market on nostalgia. I would say that Disney's business model is just built on nostalgia yes, on nostalgia right it's these ips it's these brands where they're using the fact that people and and for some reason it's it's our generation uh that grew up in like 70s 80s 90s that now at this point in time maybe just given the state of the world everybody really loves to revisit their childhood in a way that i don't think our parents generation does no um, yeah and 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 star wars and Mar- all these things uh I think it's just a reflection of what people are asking for. And Disney just, they, they don't wield it very gracefully. They wield it. It's super obvious. 
Yeah, it's super. But I mean, there's and there's something to be said for the thirty year cycle, right? Like Back to the Future is my th- favorite example of this. It's it's every every thirty years we want to go back. So like Back to the Future right. was the eighties, but we went back. We literally went back to the fifties, and you know now we're in the two thousand you know twenties, but in the two thousand tens we were trying to go back to what the you know the 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 eighties when a lot of the stuff was popular. I think that that is something that remains true. That nostalgia factor definitely remains true. But again, I go back to Star Wars and I say like, yeah, you've built a movie that is specifically made to give us moments. Yeah, and that's when intertextuality fails. Is when it's like we're just and and, and I you all know how much money I give to Disney parks <laughs> annually. Um, but like I I still I I do stand by that that the movies the best movies of the Star Wars films that came out recently were the ones that like really tried to yeah they gave you that those moments they gave you the fan service but they also said no let me chart our, our own course like again not even a movie but that's why the mandalorian is so successful right because it says yeah we're going to be in the world that you recognize but we're going to tell a story all our own which is what i'm hoping is as they move forward with all their new tv shows i know there's a kenobi show coming out and stuff like that that they look that they look at things like the mandalorian and realize that like the nostalgia gets people in the door, but it doesn't get them through the movie. It does not get them through the movie. And, and you know, we, we, we did, uh, I think I've sent it to you. We got our hands on the, on the Colin Trevorrow script for, um, right. For the, the final star Wars. I haven't read. I mean, I'm so exhausted by the whole thing now. Like I don't really even care. It's so, but honestly, (laughs) you know, like star Wars, I've, I've lost a lot of, of love for star Wars in the last, three four years it was so refreshing to see a movie that really was just its own story and again built upon i think that was the thing you know breaking down star wars i think that was so much of what happened was you know and this is nothing new at this point ryan johnson it seemed tried to take the trilogy in a very different direction he literally did away with he like built a story that did away with what the force awakens had established purposefully and then it seemed like J.J. Abrams in the studio came in with Rise of the Skywalker or the Rise of Skywalker and was like, nope, let's erase all of that. We'll just walk walk that back a little bit. Walk yeah. that back. Uh, which which is when it gets confusing. I mean, that you need a clear voice when you're referencing something. And I, th- I think like intertextuality from something like, like book to book or a straight up book to movie or sequel or reboot, it's clear when you have one source material and you're trying to reinterpret it in a different way, but it's from exactly. the single source material. I think what's so bloated about Star Wars is just how many references they're trying to make from how many different things. and try, like They're trying to read an audience that they don't understand. They think all it is is nostalgia and if you just carpet bomb everything about every movie and insert references and visuals, all the things that people are going to eat it up, but like that's not really how it works. At all. At all. That's not how it works at all. And, and uh, you know, I think that it's the kind of thing that people, I, I, I hope that, especially given the state of the world right now, as we have this moment to pause and rethink things, I think that's mm-hmm. one of the things that I hope gets just thought about with, you know, people who are making the decisions. Like, we actually can make good stories and still give the Easter eggs. We don't need to, ha- you know, ham fist either one of those. Right. You know, so I, I that's that's part of the reason I want to talk about this because I was just like, you know, what are the stories that really were able to do that? We're able to insert all the references that we ever want to hear. Well, so do you think that, do you think that it can exist without any references at all? 
or very few? Like, do, do you have to be so direct about it or can something no. be so kind of hidden in its source? I think it can be hella subtle. I don't think it needs to be over the top at all. I think, I think there's several movies that have, you know, and so many, think about it. So many, how many movies have built upon other movies? You know, Get Out is a hitch, is basically a Hitchcock lesson. You mean right. like, well, that's the thing. Even if something is totally unique, it's not totally unique. And not just in film, but in anything, like you get inspired by other things, like everything exists in everything else. Everything. I was thinking, uh, you know, everything builds upon everything else. And I think that, uh, I think that there's movies that do it more blatantly than others, but I think that's part of, that's the other reason why I think that this is kind of a cool topic to discuss because it's just never ending. You can, you can dig into this rabbit hole forever. Yeah. I mean, th- really, th- you know, sit and, and tweeted us, tweeted us when you think about this at, at Little Justice Pod, Little Justice Pod on Twitter, and Little Justice Pod on Instagram. Hit us up. Let us yeah. know what you think. Tell about us about this. your blossoming intertextuality. Yeah, you know, how are you? Inter- are you? An how, how, are you an intertextual? I'm. I'm. I'm an intertextual dude. I am a total intertextual. It, my scripts, every one of my scripts, has been stolen from about twenty different writers. <laughs> um, you know. So oh, yeah, really. Man, I, you just write. You just write Tarantino. If Tarantino was from Boston, that's you. No, if Tarantino was from Boston and black and liked voodoo, that's me. Tarantino basically is black. He wishes. <laughs> <laughs> he severely wishes, but alas. But yeah, uh, that's that's the, you know crash course in intertextuality. So I'm very interested to know what you chose for this because yeah, you do want to start with me. I would love to start with you. Okay. When you're doing yours, I'm going to grab my hamburger and eat it because I'm starving, but wow. I will begin. I will wow. begin. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to wait. You know, I'll tell you when I'm back from getting my hamburger for you to start. I'm not going to just walk away. Oh, you know, okay. Okay. That's cool. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a quick advertisement break to, to pay for things. But when we come back, we will have some money, 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 money movie money. choices for you. We will be right back. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today. At LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. And we are back. We are back. We are back. So, again, like, it's it's kind of a hard thing to pick out, right? Um, where, yeah. to, where to go with this? Because you can go so many different ways. I wanted to go from uh, literary source material, right? Something adapted from from something a little deeper than just, like, an old movie being redone or an idea being re reimagined. So I started looking at text. My, my initial choice, I realized I didn't really want to do it because it's not quite close enough. And that was apocalypse now, mm-hmm. which is based on Joseph Conrad's heart of darkness. But 
different time period. Like it's really just like the threadbare uh, trajectory that's copied. And you can see Heart of Darkness in a lot of if you just if you saw Ad Astra that just came out last year with Brad Pitt, it's the same kind of thing, right? You kind of start in the light and you head deeper and deeper and deeper into the heart of darkness. And like that idea has been explored and explored. Um, and obviously I, I love Apocalypse now, but I didn't think that there was enough in terms of the relationship between the source material and the new product to give conversation. So what I did choose begins on black and you just hear a ding. 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 And you hear some people murmuring, talking. It gets a little louder. The credits are rolling. You open on uh, a vast field somewhere in the south. Ding. Ding. Ah, good for you. There's a man on horseback, comes into frame, pan over a little more. It's a chain gang working on the railroad. Ding. Oh, I love this movie so much. Yep. Title card comes up. I was about to say, is there some music that plays? Not yet. Not yet. I don't think so. I think it comes. I think it's title candy, card, and then Big Rock Candy Mountain, and then Big Rock Candy Mountain. Ah, uh, okay, okay. And the mo- and the title card is, Oh brother, Oh brother, where art thou? Oh brother, where art thou? You take off through that bayou. Wait a minute. Who elected you leader of this outfit? Well, Pete, I figured it should be the one with the capacity for abstract thought. But if that ain't the consensus view, then hell, let's put her to a vote. Suits me. I'm voting for yours truly. Well, I'm voting for yours truly, too. Okay. I'm with you fellas. Yeah, so Aww. it was actually an, it, it was an interesting way to open it because I I remembered it differently also. The opening is literally just just the chain gang working. You yeah. don't see our main characters. You don't see there's no music. It's just this scene. And then it cuts the card. And then suddenly the music gets peppier and... You know George Clooney and John Turturro and and they, they and Tim Blake Nelson will pop up in the field and the story kind yep. of starts. But yep. I thought as like a cold open to a movie to just completely ignore it. It's just focused on the toil, yeah, and the sweat and yeah. these guys singing. And the whole movie is about music and the whole movie is about story and mythology. Ugh. And I thought it was it's an amazing way to open. But for those of you who haven't seen it, Oh Brother Where Art Thou is a Coen Brothers film. Uh, starring George Clooney, Tim Blake Nelson, John Turturro, uh, John Goodman's in it. Uh, Stephen Root, I love anything Stephen Root oh, yeah. does. He's the stapler guy from Office Space, and, and as Stephen, soon as you start to he, notice him, he's in everything, and he's and so he's also he's good. also a staple of Coen Brothers films. Yes, you know he's in so many of them. Correct, but it is the the film is basically uh, like a Southern Gothic retelling of the Odyssey. Yep. Um, and it says right right in the title cards based on the Odyssey. But obviously yep. the Odyssey took place, you know, in ancient Greek times, has nothing to do with the South uh yep. in the in the turn of the century. And in in terms of intertextuality, it just seemed like they they knew they wanted to do the Odyssey. Yep. And they just they created a, an entirely brand new thing around it that keeps all the elements that references all the characters that keeps the you know the the same emotional arc 
of what that story is and what this, these characters go through and what the end goal is, the pursuit, you know, the journey and the pursuit and all these things. But it, it creates its very own visual language, musical language, uh, vocal language. Like it is entirely wholly its own thing. Who's a hot show around here? I am. Who are you? Uh, well, sir, I'm Jordan Rivers, and these here are the Soggy Bottom Boys out of Cottonelia, Mississippi. Songs of salvation to salve the soul. Uh, we hear that you pay good money to sing into a can. Well, that all depends. You boys do Negro songs? Uh, well, uh, sir, we are Negroes. Uh, it's, I don't, it's just brilliant. <laughs> it's brilliant. They find some amazing, amazing ways to take these moments that happen in the Odyssey and translate them into something gothic. Like the John mm-hmm. John Goodman as the Cyclops is that whole sequence. Yeah. Uh, what's his name? Big John T. Is that is that what they call yeah. him? In the yeah, movie? yeah. The one thing you don't want is air in the conversation. Once again, we find ourselves in agreement. What kind of work you do, Big Dan? Sales, Mr. McGill, sales. And what do I sell? The truth, every blessed word of it, from Genesee on down to Revelations. That's right, the word of God, which let me tell you, there is damn good money in during these times of woe and want. Ooh, he is so amazing. And it's amazing. They like turn him into, into some, you know, money-hungry Bible. swindler. You know, he's not yeah. a... He's not a physical threat until he, I mean, and then he picks yeah, up I mean, his club and just wails on him. But, like, the, but they shoot and they shoot it from that up angle, that, that kind mm-hmm. of Orson Welles up angle. So you just really get the size of this man. And yeah, and they're just, you know, and then the sirens is obviously just, and that's so, I mean. And again, and, and, and it, it, it's so obvious what they're doing in all of these things. Like, you know, going into the Odyssey, there's going to be a Cyclops. There's going to be the sirens. There's going to be all of these things. Um there's, you know, Poseidon, which is basically just the law enforcement who's pursuing Odysseus the whole time in the Odyssey, uh, gets translated to running from the law, like, which is pretty brilliant. And it doesn't even need to be a character per se, even though there is like a lawman who catches up with them at the end. The way in which all of these elements are translated smoothly, where if, if you don't know the Odyssey, you wouldn't ever guess that this was coming from what it was coming from. Yeah, no, it really, it really does it, the illusions are so but then they also do things like i think that uh what's her name what's his wife's name Pene- is it penelope in the movie because i mean they do ulysses do is, is literally the his name, name is the yeah, he, his name is U- ulysses uh penny. And she penny so 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 yeah close to penelope like they do do these things that that um that reference it but the other thing i was going to say um and this is just this is just a coen brother staple the other thing that makes it the, the intertextual is the the music the mm-hmm. music is, you know, they they weave in these amazing uh, bluegrass and folk songs. Uh, I mean, that soundtrack is one of the best soundtracks of the 2000s. It's, it really, it's amazing. It, yeah, the quality of the music is yeah. just so beautiful. And, and, it's, um, and it's wrapped into the, the plot, you know, it's wrapped yes. into the identity of the film is this music. Very much so. And Very since, much so. you know, somehow folk music, you know, like down-home folk music can correspond to... <laughs> you know, myth- mythological storytelling. Well, and you know, where, it, and where it, the, the muses and everything told through, you know, told stories through song in the Odyssey thing, all these things happen. So to, to, to have the muses be there in the music, it, it takes one element and translates it in a totally unique way. No, it's, it's a really great. And, and I also love, I mean, you know, I think that the, um, you know, the blind man coming in like, like on the, on the, on the, on the tr- train track cart, 
uh, mm-hmm. from the beginning, like sets up the prophecy of what's going to happen. Like there's so they take these elements that in any other filmmaker's hands would feel so grounded and real and they make them. And it would seem ridiculous. Like, Oh, let's take the Odyssey and, and they, uh, to to literally go from, okay, like, Oh, there's an Oracle at the beginning. Well, we'll make a character who's the Oracle and we'll do the Cyclops and he'll wear a thing. Like it's all so, it's so obvious and it, and it, it never feels like they're trying too hard or they're shoehorning something in just to have it there. Uh, they, they took what made each element of the story works and they, they, you know, massaged it into the fabric of, of a Southern Gothic story. And it's, it's amazing. Yeah. And, and going through, I hadn't really gone through, you know, the Wikipedia or anything before I watched it, but every single character has something and corresponds to somebody. Um, Steven Root, who plays the blind radio station manager, who's the one who records them in the beginning and, and sends their music out for everybody to listen to. Right. And by the end of the movie, they're like famous is, yep. ho- is supposed to be Homer. Yep. As the person who makes makes him known, makes among him known. Everybody, um, Pappy in the movie is Zeus. Pappy Daniel to Zeus. I love it. Let's see. The sheriff is Poseidon. Let's pursue him the whole time. I mean, it just it every everybody has a place. Everybody is particular, but it never feels it never no. feels that way. No, you know, it never and, feels and there, like it's too much. And they get away with these non sequiturs where all of a sudden people just start breaking. Like I love in the scene right before the the great flood at the end, where the where the grave diggers just bust out into that beautiful song. It just it never feels. And I mean, and the movie. I think what's funny about this is the movie kind of sets up an intertextuality of itself because. So George Clooney talks about how he the Coens had him do what he calls his his trilogy of idiots or his idiot trilogy. And this was the first movie. So all the movies that came after this were all in their own way, kind in of comments related on to it. Yeah. Ulysses like, cause he did this and then he did intolerable cruelty and then he did burn after reading and then they snuck hail Caesar in there. And, um, all they those really characters. snuck hail Caesar. And I don't think they, anybody remembers. Yeah. Hail I don't Caesar. know if anybody, and it's so sad People because remember burn after reading. Yeah. And they burn don't after, remember hail Caesar and burn after reading was, that was a hard watch. Was, man. Not that it was, was bad. Not great. It was like, it was just like, I, th- I think it was incredibly bad. It was well, I like it. It was just like very dark. Like it was like too dark. It was, it was dark. like it was too meandering to be dark. It didn't. It didn't take itself seriously enough. I'm sorry. That I don't know. When when uh, I I love Richard uh, Richard Jenkins and his, his spoiler oh, yeah. alert, but his death was just heartbreaking to me. I was like, why the hell did he have to die? The man did why nothing. Did, why to did anybody. anything? It, it was one of those things where like if it felt like they were really in control, if there was a, a a reason for it, a method behind the madness, you know, a purpose to why the things were happening, it'd be different. But it didn't feel that way. No, it did not feel that way at all. But uh, but yeah. So that's no. But that's that's such a great pick, dude. And I think that's exactly right. It's the intersection of all these things, and all of these things serve the story and make it make it fuller, make it. And just give it more depth, you know? Yeah. Oh, brother, where art thou? Nice oh, brother, choice, Alex. Nice All right, choice. I'm, I'm going to go get a hamburger from get your hamburger. the bag, and I will be get right back. Get your hamburger. I'll entertain them while you're gone. So while Alex is getting his hamburger, I just want to say hey, that anything that he has said to my wife, anything he's done in my absence from California, I'm going to get him back for it. I'm going to make him pay. He is going to bleed for what he did by swindling my family into recording a cold open that I did not agree 
that I did not oversee, that I did not sign off on. So you heard it here first. His ass is mine. 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 Oh, you're back. That's nice. All right, I'm here. I left a little present for you. In the, uh, of course you did. And the little thing, so you probably want to let that, let it sit. Let it sit. Don't, don't edit it out. In fact, and keep your mic on too, because I could hear you singing in the background. It's very funny. It's very funny. Let, let it sit like a little gem for the audience. All right. I will. I'll do that. So, you want to hear mine? I do. I'm going to move my mic away. Yeah, I'll cut my audio out. Because you're chewing. So, my movie, my movie is, uh, is, is, is kind of a cheat because so much of the reason that this movie is, has intertextuality is because of one element. Um, but the element is the movie and the movie is the element and you cannot separate the two. So, we open on a screen with uh, some red flames against a red background. And then, like, and some kind of interesting, like, feels Middle Eastern music. Boom, ba, ba, boom, ba, boom. We see the title, and then we flash to a night unlike any other night. We hear a voice singing to us, telling us that he comes from a land, from a faraway place, where the caravan camels roam, or it's flat in the middle. I thought, I was like, it can't be that. And the heat is intense. It's barbaric, but hey. It's home. What is it, Alex? Aladdin. Aladdin, baby. Arabian night, like Arabian days. Wait, don't go. I can see that you're only interested in the exceptionally rare. I think then you would be most rewarded to consider this. Do not be fooled by his commonplace appearance. Like so many things, it is not what is outside, but what is inside that counts. This is no ordinary lamp. It once changed the course of a young man's life. A young man who liked this lamp was more than what he seemed. A diamond in the rough. I was not expecting, as, as we're talking about Disney. <laughs> yep, I know, I know. It's so interesting to watch this movie in retrospect. Because this was, right, this was at the height of the Renaissance. They had just had Beauty and the Beast. They had just had Little Mermaid. And this had been a passion project for a minute, right? They wanted to do this for a minute. And they come out with this movie and it's right after uh, we lose uh, Howard Ashman, his amazing, amazing, you know, words and, and all the kind of incredible stuff that he did for them. So who's going to carry the torch of this movie? This was also a time when celebrities weren't doing cartoons, right? Right now we live in this age where like every cartoon that comes out, it's like Benedict Cumberbatch and Johnny Depp and every, you know, everyone is on these movies. But we forget that, like, first of all, voice voice work is like a very hard, very hard craft. It's not it's not just regular acting. It's a completely different thing. And you had the, the central to this story of Aladdin was this character who, you know, they didn't know what he was. They knew that he was a genie. And the only person that they wanted to get was Robin Williams to the point where and this story is now legend. They actually, to conv- you know, he was like not about to do it, but to, to show him what, what it would look like and that they could do it, 
they were like, hey, we're going to A, give you free reign. Like, this is going to be your playground. This movie is going to be a vehicle for you to just be Robin and do your thing and be amazing. To show him what they wanted to do, they famously now took his a bit of his stand-up and animated Genie to his stand-up. So they took that audio and like put an animation and it's pretty amazing. And I've never and seen if, that. Is that, does that exist out there? Yeah, you can watch it. It's on, if you watch the Imagineering story, it's definitely on, or the, uh, the Walt Disney studios documentary on Disney plus it's definitely on there, but it's also on YouTube, but it goes through and it just shows you how married Robin Williams is to the genie and oh, how yeah. it, they're, they're, the, they're one of the same person. And then, so when James Iglehart came along and did it in the new Disney movie. Yeah. Yeah. When he did work it, it was, well. Didn't work as well, you know, but I mean, and James, James and Broadway, I will say for all the shit I give James, James as the genie on Broadway was incredible. And, uh, and it was something that I got to see. And, uh, there's really nothing, I mean, there's no, there's nothing you can say. I mean, he, he really, he, and he made it his own and that's what you kind of have to do because there's, you're, you're not going to out Robin Robin. Do you know what I mean? So the, the Broadway genie is a very different animal than now there the was movie. also, I- I don't want to get too far off on it. There was also another Robin Williams thing with Aladdin where they, they, they screwed him over a little bit, didn't they? Yes, they did. They did. They get, it's because, well, basically their, their whole thing was if, and if I'm not, if I'm not quoting the story correctly, somebody correct me in the, in tweets that he, his whole, his one thing was that he didn't want to have his name used for marketing. I feel like that, that was the thing. And, uh, like made into toys and made into toys and all that stuff. And, and, and that was the first thing they did. And like imagine trying to tell Disney that you don't want them to market. Yeah. (laughs) To sell toys on, (laughs) yeah, on your name. And they did that and then it caused a rift. And that's why, I mean, and that's why he didn't come back for the second one. And then he came back for the third one, um, which was a welcome return. Um, But like he really, I don't think he did. Yeah. He, oh yeah. He was in third one, dude. He, He was right back. Um, really? but I don't think, I don't think people realize the, the impact that his performance had, not just on our childhoods, because obviously when we heard it, when, when his death happened, that was like one of the greatest pains to so many of us. Like, you know, it was like losing a, fr- a family member. I mean, we, he, so many of us grew up with him mm-hmm. and, and myself included. I remember when I, when he died, uh, I was at Disney world and I actually got a call from, from you, Alex. And you were like, Hey, have you checked the news? And I was like, no. And he's like, don't check the news until you get back. And that was, was it, was it the, was that my, or my engagement? Was that, that was it, right? That was, I think me and Sarah had just gotten engaged. Yeah. It was, yeah, a, yeah it was around there. I don't know if it was like on the exact same. It wasn't, no, it was, day, it was, it was on the trip. It was certainly on that trip. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember that dude. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it was, that was a tough one, dude. And, um, but like, I think going back to the point, the impact that he had on voice work on celebrities in animated pieces cannot be understated i mean he really changed the game and so much of how he did that was intertextuality his his genie his genie is literally his stand-up which is just a mile a minute of references whoa wow does it feel good to be out of there i'm telling you nice to be back ladies and gentlemen hi where are you from what's your name i must have hit my head harder than i thought do you smoke mind if i do Oh, sorry, Cheat. I hope I didn't sing the fur. Yo, Rockman, haven't seen you in a few millennia. Give me some tassel. Yeah, yo, yo. Say, you're a lot smaller than my last master. Either that or I'm getting bigger. Look at me from the side. Do I look different to you? Wait, wait a minute. I'm your master? That's right. He can be taught. What would you wish of me? 
The ever impressive. But never the cave scene, the cave of wonder scene alone. Oh my god! Like, the amount of stuff and the stuff you don't understand as a kid, like you got to go back now. It's just ridiculous. to get half the jokes. Yeah, he want and he wanted to do the one that the one that got cut. He wanted to do a, a George Bush reference, and they cut that. They're like, no, 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 you can't do that. You can't do that. But like, he got so many in, and by the end of it, I think somebody counted. By the end of it, you have to understand he's doing. He's done. 60 characters within one character and it's it's insane and i think one of the things that that i really love about his his use of intertextuality is like there's such a you know that's why i say voice acting is not easy because in his voice it is all he he found a way to do all these characters but always keep it the genie it's always him. It's never, it's always the genie doing an impression of, as opposed to a completely, he, you know, threading that needle, which was so insane. So you find, you find the intertextuality mainly in Robin Williams and, and the genie. And, well, and it, it starts with him. And it's and also the, based on, you know, it's a very old based, yeah, story. Based, based on a very old story. Um, a lot of Disney within Disney references in there. And, but so many of those spur from Robin Williams, like he, you know, uh, you know, talking crab, like, you know, he like, he like throws out these things that are just so ridiculous. I mean, and here's the other thing I will say, I think that one of the things that Howard Ashman and Alan Menken's presence did in the Disney movie was really bring it back to a musical theater route. And you see things, you know, prior to their involvement, prior to Beauty and the Beast and uh, Little Mermaid, um, you see these movies were kind of floundering. Nobody wanted to watch them. And when they came on with this kind of Disney Renaissance, one of the first things they did was instill a musical structure into these movies and say, okay, cool. So we, there's that I want song where the, where our hero is sitting and, and dreaming of a better world. So we got to have that. And there's all these different songs that we can include, you know, to really drive the point home of who these characters are. And if you've ever wanted, if you ever want to do yourself a favor, watch, you know, there's the Howard Ashman documentary on Disney Plus, which I definitely have to write watch because I, I'm sure I'm going to cry. But I just love watching him talk about the thought behind music. In, and there's a scene where he they have footage of him pitching um, what would become Under the Sea, and and the specificity with which he breaks down like why each each instrument comes in at which moment, and and the and and understanding that every song has a drive, right? Songs are not you know the the difference between musical theater and in a in a vaudeville show is that every song has a plot driven purpose, right? It, under the sea is a fun song, but it's it's Sebastian trying to convince Ariel to stay under the sea, and I think very much in that same vein, Robin's impressions, let's call them, all serve a purpose. Like they all are to illustrate points and to make, whether it's to make exposition more fun to swallow or to like drive home the stakes of like, hey, do not break this rule or like, hey, tell her the truth. Do you mean like all these things are are made that much more powerful and that much more palpable, right? We, there's so, I, I think about like how many animated voices do you remember? Like you remember the genie. Do you mean I remember the genie? I could, t- I like I'm talking to him right now. I can literally go back and be like, wow, I know 
I, I hear it. I hear it in my head. And that, that means something, you know what I mean? So do you yeah. think, do you think the platform of the story lends to that too? Like, is there anything about Aladdin as a concept as, as a movie? And- yeah. Well, I think so. I think so. The one thing in the Guy Ritchie remake that, that I think Guy Ritchie did get right. Um, cause I, you know, I mean, and again, I look, I'm, I've never directed a big budget Disney remake, so I don't know what the pressures are. I don't know what needles you have to thread. But the one thing I do think he understood innately was that the genie uh, is that kind of character is an ex- like is is an amplification of whatever charm the actor has playing it, um, and that's true for for so many magical characters. Like I think back to you know damn Yankees, um, you know with, with the Applegate, the devil. Like it's you know whoever plays him gets to put their own spin on him because that's the whole point, right? He is what he does is he is the catalyst. So as long as he's doing crazy things, you know, he can, he can get away with being a lot of different things. And I think that that's always the fun of it. So yes, I think the Aladdin story, anytime you have a wish fulfillment, anytime you have a Faustian story of any kind, right. And I, I take it back to even like a little shop of horrors, which is about a freaking plant. Do you know what I mean? Like, Little Shop of Horrors, you know, you stick it's it's the voice in there, you know, it can be anything, but it, it's it's the fun of that. It's the fun of like yeah. the well, the I think cake. it's I, it's interesting uh, in relationship to theater. I think that the the concept of intertextuality uh, with with character and performance, because theater is this thing where in set a movie is set right. Once a movie's made, you can remake a movie with someone else in the role, but like that's kind of a one off thing. Theater gets recast all the time. Yep. Right. So, so the character becomes, you have, you have what the character is expected for the character to be based on uh, the original cast member who played him and, and early iterations. And then there's also an expectation that there's going to be something slightly new. I'm sure you're like very aware of this, having stepped into so many characters that have been played before very differently than how, how you played them. Yep. Yep. So that's, that's interesting. The, the, the one that jumps to mind most, uh, for me is, is, uh, Jean Valjean and Javert. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, where you have literally like you're talking about a voice, right? a recognizable voice somehow based on the music, you know, the depth of those voices before it's even cast. It could be anybody and it's going to have that same, you can hear yep. it, yep. which I think is, is so interesting. No, it's the truth. It's, it's, you know, anytime that you have somebody new step into a role, um, they're going to bring their own spin to it. They're going to do their own thing. I just think that with Robin as the genie, it was just the, it's, you know, it's, it's everybody like it's watching all these guys put their mark on the Joker. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's any, you know, so many, everybody's going to bring their own thing to it, but Robin brought just such a knowledge of pop culture and such a knowledge of himself as a performer. And it really made the movie something and such a, and quite frankly, such a, such a, he's heartwarming. Robin oh, knows completely. how to pull. He knows how to pull your heartstrings, man. I mean, we've gone into Robin Williams before. We've talked oh, yeah. about just the, the pure oh. efficacy of his warmth. <laughs> yeah, it really is something to behold. So, yeah, man, Aladdin. Aladdin is Aladdin. I like that. I'm free. I'm free. Quick, quick. Wish for something outrageous. Say, I, I want the Nile. Wish for the Nile. Try that. Uh, I wish for the Nile. No way. <laughs> oh, that feels good. I'm free at last. I'm hitting the road. I'm off to see the world. I'm... Genie, I'm... I'm gonna miss you. <laughs> Me too, Al. 
no matter what anybody says, you'll always be a prince to me. Yeah. yeah. Definitely one I of like my favorites. I think, I think this is something we're going to have to explore again. Maybe with, yeah, no, maybe we with, definitely. A, more, maybe with an, a theme on top of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. Because it, it really, you can go so many ways with this. So many ways. So many ways. You know. Uh, yeah. I want to watch Aladdin. I haven't seen it in so long. Oh, dude. It was one of, it was like my best choice last night. I was like, so yeah. do you, do you recommend the Guy Ritchie one? You know what? Here's what, here's, no, here's what I'm going to say to you. Here's what I'm going to say. I actually, there's things about it that I love. And I think that Will Smith, I think he did the best that he could. Like, it's such a tall order when you have a character that's like that iconic to essentially reinvent the character. And I think he did that. I think, I think the only thing you can do with it is just have fun and do your thing. And I think that Guy Ritchie's strength was that he was like, Will, do your thing. So like, so much of it is reconfigured to like Will Smith. And like, I will say, I loved like, there's actually a lot of intertextuality in his genie um, because it's, it's he's, a lot. he's aware of what he's doing in the shoes that he's stepping into. He's, a, he's aware, but it's not even like he, yes, there's some references to Robin, but there's also like just references to like his hip hop career and like black culture that are like really fun and like subtle, like things that you don't even under necessarily like get on first glance. I think for me, it falls in the movie in general falls into the same category that a lot of these Disney's remakes fall into, which is like, yeah, you that's great that you did that. But like what did you Well that the refer the intertextuality is it feels milked. Yeah, it's just it, like it yeah. feels like a cash cow. Yeah, congratulations congratulations on doing an uh you know generation transforming film 20 years ago. Um uh, is this like I feel like when I watch them like are we is this like a party where we celebrate that film? Like are we just like are we just like is this like a little like oh yeah, we made that thing party. It's what, you know, a, a million, a billion dollar twin party to celebrate the fact that we did something. <laughs> and it's, it's interesting um, to watch the variety of quality too, especially yeah. like, uh, John Favreau's done a couple of them and I yes. thought the jungle book was amazing. Oh my but God. Because, it was so good. Yeah. But because it was different because yeah. the concept was unproven. So they gave him a little more free reign to build the story out himself. It wasn't, it wasn't the animated jungle book over again. There no, was a lot was, of similarities, but it wasn't the same. And then, and then it came time to do Lion King and it was like, cool, the technology works. So now you have to do the Lion King verbatim. And it was that and, technology. And, and, and I, that's what it was. Everyone's like, this is weird. <laughs> I also wonder if he got a little screwed because he was doing the Mandalorian at the same time. Oh, uh, I mean, yeah, I maybe. can't imagine, I can't imagine what the lift on Mandalorian was, um, you know, but like, yeah, I think that if you're going to make if you're going to take the time and put the money in to make these movies, add something. Add something. And I add think I think something. I think the best thing I think the best parts of the new Aladdin are when they added something. Yeah. Um, you know, it's something different. So yeah. Cool. Yeah, man. Love it. Good choices. So, fun good choices. Topic. Fun topic. Uh, let us know. Tweet at us, Instagram us, Little Justice Pod, L I L J U S T I C E P O D. I'm doing your job for you. You know no, I'm, do it. Do please do it. Uh, yeah, come at us and uh, smash that subscribe. How does this work? Smash that subscribe button. Is that is that what we say? Yeah, you smash know, the like or likes in the comments. Likes in the comments. Smash, I don't know. Smash. I don't know. Smash. 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 All right, y'all. We'll talk to you soon. Bye, everybody. Little justice. Little justice. Little Justice. Fuck yeah. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. 
Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There is enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. <laughs> 